Hello, and welcome to the Michigan Murders. I'm Laura. And I'm Stephanie. I'm a little on the stuffy side. Joseph has some sort of cold or something, and he gave it to me. So here we are. (laughs) Yeah, I spent yesterday um, with some version of illness, not quite the flu. (laughs) Yeah. It it was it was bad. It's like I tell you what, don't eat popcorn and chocolate lava cake, and then have to throw up because it's rough. Oh yikes! <laughs> oh, and I have to tell you, my husband committed the gravest sin yesterday. Oh no! When I said I'm sick, will you bring me ginger ale? What would you bring? Verner's. Obviously. He brought me Canada Dry, and I was like, (gasps) how dare you? (laughs) It's like... The horror. (laughs) To me, that's almost like, you're like, bring me this name brand pain reliever, and they bring you the store generic brand. That's what that is to me. It's like, bring me ginger ale. I'm sick. And then I get something other than Verner's. The gravest sin of all. It is. And I'm glad you knew that. Is it just me? Like, if you're sick, you have Verner's. That's how it goes. (laughs) I always get so sad that I have to get stuck with, like, Canada Dry or something now that I'm not in Michigan. It's just not the same. It's like, it's not. I miss my Verner's. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I think I'm first this week. Yes. So this is on the disappearance and murder of David Carter. And this case was the focus of an Unsolved Mysteries episode called Body in Bags. So if you want to oh, watch yikes. it, you can. Otherwise, just listen. Just keep listening to me, please. Uh, <laughs> David Carter was a 39-year-old father to a 16-year-old son, DJ. David and DJ's mom were not together. However, the two were on good terms and shared custody of DJ. David was living in Melvindale, a suburb of Detroit, and worked full-time at a seating automotive manufacturing plant and also owned and operated a casual clothing line called Lavish Habits. Very ambitious. So in the episode, he's described as having a lot of female friends, relationships, and girlfriends by his sister. However, in March of 2018, David started seeing Tamara Tammy Williams, The two attended the same high school and reconnected at a friend's birthday party. Tammy had two children of her own, 18-year-old twins at the time. Tammy was a former travel agent and was currently working as a phlebotomist at the Detroit Medical Center. By September 2018, after six months of dating, it was pretty obvious to David's family and friends that David was growing tired of Tammy. She rarely left his apartment and became extremely jealous and possessive when David was around any other woman, even his cousins. Oh, wow. The family that they interviewed said at family gatherings, Tammy would watch David while he was talking to somebody else. And her clingy nature grated on David to the point that friends believed he was trying to end the relationship. On Friday, September 28th, 2018, David and his family attended DJ's high school football game. Tammy chose to sit alone rather than with David, and none of David's family said it at the time, but they found the situation strange and assumed David and Tammy were fighting. Yeah, (laughs) somebody that's constantly (laughs) clinging, needs to be near you all the time, is suddenly sitting away 
uh, your kids. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The next night, around 10.30 p.m., David called his sister and asked her to edit a video from the game so he could post it online. She got the feeling he was alone, and he mentioned he had to be at work at 5 a.m. the next day. The following morning, on Sunday, September 30th, David didn't show up for work and failed to notify his employer or co-workers, which was out of character for him. That afternoon, DJ's mom received an unusual text from David saying he was sick and asked DJ not to come over for his usual Sunday sleepover. And these, you know, like I said at the beginning, these two are very close. DJ kind of saw his dad as a best friend, so they hung out together a lot. Right. David wouldn't talk on the phone, only text when DJ tried to talk to him. DJ showed up at David's apartment to pick up some things he had forgotten there. When he arrived, DJ saw Tammy bringing stuff out to the garbage. DJ was surprised when Tammy ran back inside ahead of him, and when he got to the apartment door, it was locked. DJ used his key to enter the apartment and noticed David's bedroom door was shut, which was unusual, and Tammy shut the bathroom door. DJ wanted to check on David, but Tammy said he had gone outside for a walk, which DJ thought was strange because he was just so sick he couldn't talk, only text. Right. And DJ then left to go to his grandmother's house. David missed work again on Monday, and on Tuesday, co-workers notified David's family, who filed a missing persons report. When his family arrived, this, this is kind of out of order here, but this kind of happens first before, before missing persons. So they arrive... They find the door unlocked. After searching his apartment, they find a red splotch on the carpet beneath his bed, a hole in the mattress, and what appeared to be a bullet hole in the wall. And at that point, the dad was like, okay, something's going on here. We got to get out of here. We're going to call police. So while David's friends and family are kind of, you know, worried, Tammy Williams went to work as if nothing happened and seemed unfazed that her boyfriend was missing. When his family called Tammy to ask if she had seen him, she said no. For someone who had been so clingy and always there, they found it odd that suddenly she didn't know where he was and didn't want to leave work to look for him. No kidding. Like, oh my gosh. So then, you know, they're all still looking for him and wondering where he could be. Obviously, I would be too. It's a little worrying. Blood. Um, They said the apartment was left a mess, which he never did because he was a neat freak and, you know, always wanted things clean. On October 1st, 2018, an Ohio Department of Transportation road crew working along I-75 in Findlay, Ohio, it's about one and a half hours or 100 miles south of Melvindale, spotted a discarded sleeping bag beside the highway. It was small, so workers thought it might have been an animal. One thought it could even be a child, so the workers decided to call the police. Which, thankfully for them, they did. State troopers showed up and checked the bag and thought he saw a foot. So inside was the lower part of a body of a black male with a bulldog tattoo on one calf. The county coroner sent the information up to Melvindale because of the missing persons report. Tammy Williams was picked up and questioned but was released after 72 hours, which is the maximum amount you can be held um, legally without arrest. The police basically said, like, we don't have enough evidence yet. You know, we don't have the full body to know how he right. died or what happened. But over the next two weeks, 
Two more bags containing body parts were found along I-75. One bag contained the upper torso. Another included his head in a grocery bag tied under the chin. So I'm just thinking of that visual. Like, ah. he had to take the head to put it in the grocery bag and then tie, tie the bag. And that's just, that extra freaks me out. Just yeah, that, that all sorts of psychotic. Yeah. The coroner determined they belonged to the same man who was identified as David Carter, who had died of a gunshot wound to the head. Antihistamines were found in his bloodstream, and no defense wounds were found. So, going by that, basically, he was either drugged or he took something, fell asleep. She could have entered his apartment with the spare key she had and then killed him. Right. Um, it, oh, it just makes this worse because the coroner described the cutting up of the victim as likely logistical due to his size. And the cuts were likely made with an average kitchen knife, which would take some time. Aye, Not to aye. mention the attempted cleaning of the apartment. Right. So DJ, I guess, luckily didn't see anything because, you know, we have to say allegedly... If it was her, <laughs> she had a gun that she killed him with. She probably could have very easily also killed the son trying to get away. Allegedly. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> right, right. On December 20th, 2018, police issued a warrant for Tammy's arrest, charging her with first degree homicide, mutilation of a dead body, tampering of evidence, and felony firearm. However, she was unable to be found. Police believe Tammy Williams killed David Carter on the night of September 28th or early morning on September 29th, possibly while he slept due to the evidence in his bedroom, dismembered his body, then scattered the bags with his body parts along I-75 in Ohio. U.S. Marshals were brought in. Tammy was last seen in October 2018 um, in Ann Arbor. There, she withdrew a large sum of money from an ATM inside a local bar, then boarded a train to Penn Station, New York, and spent the night at the Neptune Hotel in Brooklyn, paying for her room with $100 cash. After that, her trail disappeared. Tamara Tammy Renee Williams is 5'5", and weighs about 180 to 200 pounds. She's been known to change her appearance a lot. But she has a large rose bouquet tattoo running from her shoulder down her left arm. She may have blonde hair or black hair, long or short. She was known to change, like, her wigs and stuff frequently. So her hair likely to change a lot. She's an experienced world traveler and has relatives in Atlanta and New York. She's a member of the Order of the Eastern Star. And authorities believe it's possible someone within the organization may be helping her unaware she's wanted for murder. Tammy Williams should be considered armed and dangerous. And there's a $10,000 reward for information leading to the capture of Tamara Tammy Renee Williams. Wow. Yeah. And I was looking, the Order of the Eastern Star is like a Masonic mm -hmm. fraternity or branch or however that works, whatever they're called. So. Wow. The fact that they hadn't found her yet is quite concerning. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't think you'd be able to just disappear 
these days. But, you know, she hasn't popped up on anything. I think she could be getting help from family if she's got two two kids. And I her family. Who knows if somebody's been talking to her. According to the U.S. Marshal in the episode, he's saying they claim they hadn't heard from her since 2018. He did not believe that, but... <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Okay. Well... I have a story on Lowell Edwin Amos. Um, it's a tongue twister, so I have to like, do it slowly. Was born on January 4, 1943 in Anderson, Indiana. Lowell was a former Detroit businessman whose mother and three wives all died under suspicious circumstances. Hmm. Lowell was convicted in 1996 of murder in the case of his third wife, Roberta Maury Amos. He was the subject of a 2006 Lifetime Network made-for-TV movie called Black Widower, and he died in prison on January 5 of 2022, the day after his 79th birthday. Wow. So, back in December of 1994, a group of executives gathered in the Athenium Hotel in Detroit for a company party. Lowell Amos, a former General Motors plant manager, attended the party with his wife, Roberta. Around 4.30 a.m., the couple decided to return to their suite. Four hours later, at 8.30 a.m., Lowell made a panicked phone call to another executive who attended the party, Bert Crabtree. Bert showed up to the room with another hotel guest, Daniel Percasi, and that's when Lowell claimed that Roberta had died in an accident and that he needed to clean up before he contacted the police. He gave them a leather case or bag um, and asked them to hold it for him. I've seen contradicting stories, so I'm not quite sure who agreed to take the bag exactly. One said Crabtree, the other says Percassi, because I was work looking on um, Murderpedia and Wikipedia, and it's just different. But either Crabtree or Percassi agreed, and when he was driving home that morning, he decided to look inside where he found that it contained a sport coat, a foul-smelling washcloth, and a syringe sans needle. Yeah, a little, little suspicious. But then, of course, after Lowell recovered the bag, the contents all disappeared. Oh, shocking. Curious. <laughs> shocking. So when Lowell did call the authorities, he had quite an interesting story to tell. He stated that after they retired to their suite, he and Roberta engaged in cocaine-fueled sex acts. And that these lasted for a while. <laughs> My personal favorite. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, of course. He had said that when he woke up, she was dead. And that at that time, he was in a panic and flushed the remaining coke down the toilet, then tried to no avail to clean up the room. Investigators noticed that the bed sheets were soiled and smeared, which was peculiar. Uh, pecu I can't even talk. <laughs> peculiar seeing as roberta's body looked rather clean and without any indication of makeup whatsoever hmm. right and was there coke found anywhere in bed oh oh it was found oh when detectives pressed uh lowell about the cocaine use he said that roberta had sinus trouble and due to that she didn't snort the drug but instead took it inside her body what? <laughs> um, 
It's what you think. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not funny, but yes. No, not, exactly. not funny, make, but... It, I'm, I'm laughing because I'm uncomfortable. Awkward laugh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. The fact had been confirmed at autopsy when vaginal swabs indicated unmistakable traces of cocaine. The absence of external signs of the drug was confusing. However, her body contained more than 15 times the lethal dose. Whoa. A dose so big that Roberta had died before even half the drug had had the chance to break down. This set off alarm bells for investigators as acute cocaine poisoning invariably causes violent fits before death which makes it completely unbelievable that Lowell Amos could have slept through the fits. Was he also coked up and out of it? Well, supposedly it was like a whole se- cocaine-fueled sex acts, and he had said that she was still taking the cocaine when he fell asleep. Unlikely, because that would kill you very fast. <laughs> Correct. And also, like... Even though, right. But this is why it says, which makes it completely unbelievable that Lowell Amos could have slept through the fits. Besides, what was the likelihood that after his own admitted cocaine binge, he would be able to sleep anyhow? Yeah. You're on cocaine. I am. That would make you awake. You're not on like weed or alcohol. Yeah, that's not going to make you sleepy. That's true. No. Right. (laughs) That's why everybody's like, uh, excuse me. Um, Upon doing a more thorough examination of the evidence, forensic scientist Dr. Phyllis Good was given the bed sheets for analysis. Nothing in Lowell's story accounted for the odd staining. And due to the body being so clean, it was suspected that he had washed it before calling the police. This was supported by test samples from the pillowcase, which showed traces of makeup even though, when found, Roberta had not been wearing any makeup at all. Even more sinister were the imprints of teeth marks and lipstick found on the pillowcase, which might happen if the pillow had been held onto her face. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Right. Turning to the sheet, Dr. Good found traces of cocaine all over the material, even on parts of the sheet that had been tucked under the mattress. How'd it get there? Yeah, that's very suspicious. Even though this provided evidence of crime scene manipulation, it wasn't concrete enough to prove uh, prove murder at this point. So while investigators were struggling to put the pieces together of this mystery, Lowell found an unusual way to ease his supposed grief. Surprise, surprise, (laughs) of course. Only two days after Roberta's death, not only had he spent $1,000 on dinner and drinks with two women, but he also had sex with both. Oh, all right. And then oddly enough, it was his erotic adventures that would be his undoing. With all the publicity encompassing this case, multiple women came forward with stories of having dated Lowell, and all of them felt as though they had all been drugged before sexual encounters. Ick. Oh, that's terrible. Gives me the total ick. Yeah. These reports prompted an in-depth investigation into Lowell Amos's background, which what was unearthed was pretty horrific. 
women close to Lowell Amos had a habit of dying. So bum, Lowell's bum, first wife, bum. right, <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Lowell's first wife, Sandra, was found at age 36, dead in the bathroom in 1979. According to Lowell, she had a mixed a sedative with wine, collapsed, and hit her head on the bathroom counter. Despite doubt in his story, the cause of death was ruled as indeterminate, and he received an insurance payout of $350,000. Shortly after the death of Sandra, Lowell married his longtime mistress, Caroline. Because of course he did. <laughs> and of course he okay. had one. Yeah, I just, yeah, my wife died in uh, indeterminate circumstances. And now I'm marrying my mistress after getting a whole bunch of money. <laughs> right. Shortly after she dies. According to friends, Caroline constantly argued with her new husband about the large insurance policies he kept purchasing on her life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Red flags. Yeah. Mayday, mayday. <laughs> the plane is going down. <laughs> like, yeah. excuse me? And when he refused to cancel them, she threw him out of the house in 1988. In a strange move, he went and moved in with his 76-year-old mother. Oh, no. Mama, no. <laughs> yeah. Mama, Mama, no. Um, just a couple weeks after he moved in with his mother, she was rushed to the hospital, seemingly stupefied. Doctors were unable to diagnose the issue, and when she recovered, she was sent home. Each day, Caroline called to check in on her mother-in-law, but one day Lowell answered, and he had horrible news. He just found his mother dead, and she had been dead for several hours. Oh. Right. <sighs> I, I, no words. No. It is, this guy is so sinister. Like, And I'm surprised that nowhere while I was doing this, did I see anything where they referred to him as a serial killer? Yeah. Like, just because, like, I see Black Widower and killing wives and mother. But at this point, he killed three wives and his mother. Yeah. Even though it wasn't, like, going out and finding victims, like, he... Well, I mean, he technically did technically, find right. victims. They just happened <laughs> to be close to him. Right. Ugh. So Caroline rushed to her mother-in-law's house to find Lowell, throwing all of his belongings into his car. He stated that he didn't want anyone to know that he'd been living with his mother. Mm. And why is that, sir? But, um, of course, due to her age, the death of his mother wasn't considered to be suspicious enough, so no autopsy had been performed. Oh. Lowell Amos inherited more than $1 million from her death. Wow. Right. His poor mother. <sighs> Not sure if this caused Caroline to believe that she was better protected against Lowell's greed, but she allowed him to move back in with her, which oh, makes no. me want to, like, yell, no! Like, I was, like, screaming at my screen last night. Yeah. Don't do it, girl. <laughs> Out. And, of course, nine months later... She, too, was found dead. According to Lowell, he'd taken her a glass of wine into the bathroom where she was blow-drying her hair. 
later, he found her dead in the bath and thought that she may have been electrocuted, but no cause of death had ever been determined. Significantly, the wine glass was missing from the bathroom and was later found rinsed out and in the dishwasher. Oh, my gosh. Like, hello. Yeah. Investigators, get it together. Like, I don't. Ay, ay, ay. Caroline's death earned Lowell another $800,000 in an insurance payout. Gosh, what is this guy doing with all this death money? Right. So, I mean, 800000 here, 350000 another, over a million another. Like, so this was all pretty damning. And Lowell was arrested for murder due to a 1994 change in Michigan law, which would allow details of previous inc- uh, incidences to be introduced into trials. Thank goodness. Right. This enabled prosecutors to show that although Lowell had no financial motive for killing Roberta, as he had with the other three deaths, um, his marriage was soon to end. Roberta had already bought a house of her own and told friends and family that she wanted him out of her life. Good for her. The prosecution concluded that Lowell killed her because he couldn't stand rejection. They, uh, they stated that he first gave her a glass of wine with two crushed sedatives in it. Then when she passed out, he injected her vagina with cocaine that had been dissolved in water and then smothered her with a pillow when she began to convulse. Ah, uh, gross. Ugh. On October 24, 1996, Lowell was convicted of premeditated murder and murder using a toxic substance, which were considered separate charges of first-degree murder, and on November 4, 1996, Lowell Edwin Amos was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. He was held in Coldwater, Michigan, in a uh, in security level 2 at Lakeland Correctional Facility. Charges were never made in the case of the other three deaths, because, of course, I mean... Yeah, if you get life for one... They just kind of decided that, yeah. Yeah. Lola's appeal was rejected in 1998. So he had tried to appeal it all, and they're like, eh, nice try. Good. Ugh. Gives me the heebie-jeebies. Heebie-jeebies. The heebie-jesus. <laughs> heebie-jesus. Grody. Yeah. As Yuck. soon as, you know, just like you, as soon as I heard took it inside her body, I was like, at first, at first, I was a little, like, innocent. I was like, oh, did she shoot it? And then, and then I was like, wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. Not how they worded that. No, I, I thought, <laughs> well, she, I was like, if, they, if she ingested it, they would have said that. If she had injected it, would have said that. I was like, oh, no, there's only one or two places left on the, the bottom end. Right. And neither would be pleasant. No, 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 no. Ugh. Disturbing. But I'm glad in the end, you know, he at least saw some sort of justice, even though... The fact that they didn't even, like, do autopsies on two of the bodies. Like, what is going on? Yeah. I guess for an older lady that was just in the hospital, maybe they just were like, well, you know, she's old. 
Maybe it was natural causes. Hey. Yeah. I don't want anybody to know. I've been living with my mother. If you were helping her, what would be wrong with that? And didn't you have a bunch of money? What's the deal? Right. Well, I guess she thought, like, she must have thought that, oh, with him getting over a million, either she was wanting to use some of that money greedily, or she thought, well, now that he has this money, maybe he won't be so concerned with creepily having insurance policies on my life. Yeah. Policies. Multiple. Right. And it kind of makes me wonder where he was getting them from, because the insurance companies... They almost need like a red flag alert where they go, hey, this same guy has been buying policies on these other people. (laughs) Hey, look, this one died (laughs) because you think they'd not want to pay out a whole bunch. So I almost want to work for a life insurance company just so I can ping any red flags. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And then he still had a life insurance policy on her that she must not have known of. Because after her death, he got another 800000 Oh, my God. After he had just gotten a million, over a million from his mom. So he must have still had one that she didn't know about. What was he doing with the money? That's what I want to know, too. Like, why, why the need to have that much? Right. And I didn't see anything like what he was spending it on. I didn't see anything about, like, incredible cars or anything like that. But it definitely makes you wonder. Yeah, what was going on? Ugh. Crazy gambling habits? I don't know. Very likely in well, Michigan. Well, obviously <laughs> he liked cocaine. It's uh, <sighs> crazy. And he liked to drug ladies, so... Yeah. Creep alert. Watch your drinks. Always cover them. Don't leave them sitting down. Um, you might find a Lowell Amos, and we don't need that happening. <laughs> so... Yikes. I... Well, thank you for listening, everybody. And I'm glad we're back again with another episode. Yay! (laughs) We did it! Two in a (laughs) row! (laughs) There will be more. We're getting back into it again, which is good. Yes. I've missed it. I did. I have missed it, too. Well, you all have a great day. And uh, stay safe out there. Watch out for the crazies. Bye. Bye! Thank you for listening to this week's episode. The music titled Teller of the Tales was provided by Kevin McLeod and can be found at incomptech.filmmusic.io.